0: Welcome to Old Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go or at home, where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today we're reading Mark 14, verses 53 to 65, and then through J.C. Riles' expository thoughts on Mark. Please take a moment to pause and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Mark, chapter 14, verses 53 to 65. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that was made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. This is the word of the Lord. Solomon tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes that one evil he has seen under the sun is when folly is set in great dignity and the rich sit in a low place, Ecclesiastes 10.6. We can imagine no more complete illustration of his words than the state of things we have recorded in the passage before us. We see the Son of God in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, arranged as a malefactor before the chief priests and elders and scribes. We see the heads of the Jewish nation combining together to kill their own Messiah and judging him who will one day come in glory to judge them and all mankind. These things sound marvelous, but they are true. Let us observe in these verses how foolishly Christians sometimes thrust themselves into temptation. We are told that when our Lord was led away prisoner, Peter followed him afar off, even to the place of the high priest, and sat down with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. There was no wisdom in this act. Having once forsaken his master and fled, he ought to have remembered his own weakness and not have ventured into danger again. It was an act of rashness and presumption. It brought on him fresh trials of faith, for which he was utterly unprepared. It threw him into bad company, where he was not likely to get good but harm, it paved the way for his last and greatest transgression, his thrice-repeated denial of his master. But it is an experimental truth that ought never to be overlooked, that when a believer has once begun to backslide and leave his first faith, he seldom stops short at his first mistake. He seldom makes only one stumble. He seldom commits only one fault. A blindness seems to come over his understanding. He appears to cast overboard his common sense and discretion. Like a rolling stone downhill, the further he goes in sinning, the faster and more decided is his course. Like David, he may begin with idleness and end with committing every possible crime. Like Peter, he may begin with cowardice, go on to foolish trifling with temptation, and then end with denying Christ. If we know anything of true saving religion... Let us ever beware of the beginnings of backsliding. It is like the letting out of water, first a drop and then a torrent. Once out of the way of holiness, there is no saying to what we may come. Once giving way to petty inconsistencies, we may find ourselves one day committing every sort of wickedness. Let us keep us far from the brink of evil. Let us not play with fire. Let us never fear being too particular, too strict, or too precise. No petition in the Lord's prayer is more important than but the last lead us not into temptation. Let us observe in the second place in these verses how much our Lord Jesus Christ had to endure from lying lips when tried before the chief priests. We are told that he bore many false witnesses against him, but their witness agreed not together. We can easily conceive that this was not the least heavy part of our blessed Savior's passion to be seized unjustly as a malefactor and put on trial as a criminal when innocent is a severe affliction. But to hear men inventing false charges against us and coining slanders, to listen to all the malignant virulence and unscrupulous tongues let loose against our character and know that it is all untrue, this is a cross indeed. The words of a tale-bearer, says Solomon, are as wounds, Proverbs eighteen eight. Deliver my soul, says David, from lying lips and a deceitful tongue, Psalm 120, verse 2. All this was part of the cup which Jesus drank for our sakes. Great indeed was the price at which our souls were redeemed. Let it never surprise true Christians if they are slandered and misrepresented in this world. They must not expect to fare better than their Lord. Let them rather look forward to it as a matter of course and see in it a part of the cross which all must bear after conversion. Lies and false reports are among Satan's choicest weapons. When he cannot deter men from serving Christ, he labors to harass them and make Christ's service uncomfortable. Let us bear it patiently and not count it a strange thing. The words of our Lord Jesus should come often to our minds. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Luke 6.26 and Matthew 5.11 Let us observe, lastly, in these verses, what distinct testimony our Lord bore to his own Messiahship and second advent in glory. The high priest asks him the solemn question, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? He receives at once an emphatic reply I am, and you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. These words of our Lord ought always to be had in remembrance. The Jews could never say after these words that they were not clearly told that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ of God. Before the great councils of their priests and elders, he declared, I am the Christ. The Jews could never say after these words that he was so lowly and poor a person that he was not worthy to be believed. He warned them plainly that his glory and greatness was all yet to come. They were only deferred and postponed until his second advent. They would yet see him in royal power and majesty, sitting on the right hand of power, coming in the clouds of heaven, a judge, a conqueror, and a king. If Israel was unbelieving, it was not because Israel was not told what to believe. Let us leave the passage with a deep sense of the reality and certainty of our Lord Jesus Christ's second coming. Once more at the very end of his ministry, and in the face of his deadly enemies, we find him asserting the mighty truth that he will come again to judge the world. Let it be one of the leading truths in our own personal Christianity. Let us live in the daily recollection that our Savior is coming one day back to this world. Let the Christ in whom we believe be not only the Christ who died for us and rose again, the Christ who lives for us and intercedes, but the Christ who will one day return in glory to gather together and reward his people and to punish fearfully all his enemies. That is the end of Rao's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we have heard today, and may the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for his glory. In considering what we have just heard, would you prayerfully ask yourself and others the following questions? First, you probably know the line from the hymn, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Are we aware of the evils of our own hearts and temptations to sin? When was the last time we asked God to keep us from temptation? Second, when harassed and Christ's service is uncomfortable, are we surprised as if something strange were happening to us, or do we bear such things patiently? Are we aware of the sufferings of our master and that we should expect no better treatment than him? And lastly, Is the return of Christ one of the leading truths of our own personal Christianity? When was the last time you thought about and rejoiced or took warning in Christ's second coming?